some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. Like a bird. Praise God. Good to be in the house of the Lord today, and we're glad you're here. We started a series last week on deception. I called it, What You Know Might Not Be So. And uh, today we're going to look at really where deception all comes from, the enemy, where it all started. And it's all the same basic deception over and over again. And I entitled this Gaslighting. If some of you know that expression, I'll explain it to you in a minute. But if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. For you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. One of the many things that let me know I'm getting older, I don't understand the language of the younger generation. There is something about the generation gap. You know there is. Uh, when I was growing up in the 60s and in the 70s, these were some terms that we use: Far out. Groovy. <laughs> Give me some skin, chill, jive talking, freak out, tripping, keep on trucking. In the 90s, it was things like, all right, take a chill pill, talk to the hand, dog, that's fat, booyah, whatever, crunk. I don't remember all these things, I'm just reading them to you. <laughs> Today's slang is stuff like bougie, throwing shade, bro, dread, dip, dope, and a lot of other things. There's a phrase I've heard in recent months and recent years that I didn't know what it was. It's called gaslighting. Now, gaslighting means this. It's a form of psychological manipulation where the abuser is sowing seeds of self-doubt in a person's mind. The person that's gaslighting you is making you think you're losing your mind or you didn't see that or you doubt what you just experienced. Now, that comes from a 1944 movie called Gaslight. The man was trying to convince his wife that what she was seeing, she was imagining things, and she was thinking she was going insane. There's a lot of gaslighting goes on today. And I'm going to tell you some of my own personal opinions, so you can take it for what it's worth. Uh, a lot of it comes from the media and things like that. Make us, I hear people say all the time, is this really happening? What is going on? How is this possible? And on and on. It's like we're, see, we're living in a different reality or something. Uh, give me some examples. We watched on the news media. I watched on the news of the last few years where statues were torn down, buildings were looted and robbed and burnt down and glasses and people going there and just steal everything. And we were told... 
don't matter what you see, that's peaceful protest. And then January 6th, people went into the Capitol, and I don't condone that or anything, but it looked like they were being led on a tour by the police and some of them and things like that. And that was the worst insurrection in the history of this country. And those people have been put away for, in prison, and some of them in solitary confinement. And I thought, I don't, I don't understand. I'm not getting the whole picture there. Well, you listen to Nancy Pelosi lecture us about wearing masks, and you better wear your mask. And then she goes, and she's called on camera not wearing her mask. And I thought, wow, it seems like there's multiple different things. We hear all the time about climate change. I know it's hot. It's been very hot. But this climate change, we've got to restructure everything because we don't have but 12 years to go. And you've got thousands of scientists say it's all the biggest hoax in the world. And they say, don't listen to that. You listen to what we say and what we tell you. And so you say, why? Why don't we listen? You know, we've come through the COVID thing, and that's a sensitive subject because we lost some dear, precious people from our church from COVID. And we were told, this is the protocol. You do this, this, and this. And don't listen to those thousands of doctors that say ivermectin or hydrochloroquine or whatever. Don't listen to that. That's conspiracy. And you think, huh? There's not two sides. There's not other options. There's not, no, you listen. What you're seeing will tell you what you need to believe. That's gaslighting. Uh, Dr. Fauci came out and did all this. I, I watched for 20 and 21 and 22, I saw where 51 food processing plants in this country burn up, blew up, or planes crashed into them. I said, that, something's not right. Oh, shut up. You're just a conspiracy theorist. We'll tell you what to believe. The biggest gaslighter in the world is Satan. And I'm going to show you even though we're experiencing today, we think we're losing our mind. We think what we're seeing is not real or they're telling us it's not real and we don't even need to believe anything but what we tell you. But let me tell you, we're going to go back to the first gaslighter. He's a liar and the father of them. And the Bible says the truth's not in him, not in him at all. And he's come to deceive. So we're talking about deception today. I want to talk about gaslighting. Let's go to in the beginning, the beginning of the story. The book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. You get the first man, the first woman, the first family, the first murder, first everything, because that's where it all started. You get the first mention of the name of Satan, first mention of sin, first mention of a Savior coming, first mention of sacrifice, and on and on and on. It all starts in the book of Genesis. If we didn't have the book of Genesis, we wouldn't realize the mess we're in or why we're in the mess we're in. But the book of Genesis will tell us what it's all about. Our salvation is about a, a cross and an empty tomb. We all realize that. But do you know why we had to have a cross? Why Jesus had to come? Genesis will tell you why. Why he had to come to begin with and pay the price for us. It all started in a garden called Eden, and it started winding up in a garden called Gethsemane. It all started... When a curse was placed on man, on the earth, on the serpent, and everyone involved, a curse was given, and in Calvary, a curse was broken by a man that became a curse for us. In Genesis, Satan takes charge over this world. He's the God of this world. He takes charge of the world. On Calvary, Jesus took charge over him. 
it's an unusual thing. You know, when, if you've got children, when your children are fighting and arguing, you go to break it up. You say, who started this? And they'll always say, they started it. I'm going to tell you how everything started today, and it started and it's still going on today. The beginning of the fall. Now, in Genesis, we're introduced to our enemy, Satan. He's viewed many different ways. He's viewed as a serpent that deceives. Time you get to Revelation, he's a dragon that destroys. And James said he's a lion that devours. That's who we're up against. Now, life has its ups and downs, and we have mountaintops, and we fall. There's been some great falls. We're going to be talking about the fall here. There's been some great falls in history. Marie Antoinette was the queen of France at one time. She lost her head and was thrown in an unmarked grave. Richard Nixon was one of the brilliant minds of his generation, but we remember him as Watergate, corruption, even though what that was, was seemed like mild, what goes on today. O.J. Simpson, I followed him from college. He played running back. He won the Heisman at USC, all-pro Heisman Trophy winner, all-pro Hall of Famer. But most people know him, tend to think of him as maybe the man that murdered his wife and another man. A lot of people go from here down to here and can go there quickly. That's what happened in, in the book of Genesis. This was the greatest fall in the history of man. The first couple had it all. They had a relationship with God like nobody ever had. They walked and talked with God, and it came crashing down all because of the wicked one. And so when you read Genesis and you read chapter 3 of Genesis, you see why this book was written. Because without that, it doesn't make as much sense. It ties it all together for you. The Bible makes no sense without understanding Genesis chapter 3. Now I want to talk to you for just a moment about the beginning of temptation. Look at verse 1, the very first part of verse 1 we'll read. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. I want you to underline or circle the word crafty. Cunning is one. He's a master of disguise. He's an imposter. He does nothing but imitate. He can masquerade as an angel of light. And his ministers or his demons host. They can master as ministers of righteousness. They can, they can disguise themselves. He's an impersonator. Uh, he teaches false doctrine. He teaches a false gospel. He, teaches, he has false ministers. He's going to deceive people right up until the very end, his last great thing of deception. He's going to bring a man on the scene known as the Antichrist who's going to be Satan incarnate pretty much. And, of course, Jesus is going to deal with him. And he'll be cast away for a thousand years. And when they let him loose for a little season, he's going to come out and deceive again. That's all he does. The truth is not in him. He's a deceiver. He's a gaslighter. He's a deceptive being that God created that fell. Now, he uses the same techniques to deceive us that he used with Adam and Eve. He hasn't come up with any new strategies. People fall for the same thing. Over and over and over again because they haven't, it still works. Why change it? When I grew up 100 years ago, played football uh, as a quarterback, this is what's different about football today. Today, the coach, somebody from the sideline, or somebody in the press box calls every play. 
We didn't do that. The quarterback, I called all the plays. My coach didn't call 10 plays the whole year. If it was a good play, I called it. If it was a bad play, I called it. But I would call a play. If it was working, we keep going back to it until they stopped it. And when they stopped it, we'll, we'll try something else or we'll fake it and do something different. Well, that's the way it is with Satan. He's used the same plays over and over because they still work. Paul said we are not ignorant of his devices. We're very aware of his technique, how he does it, and all this is not, we're just gullible and we fall for the same tricks. So I want to look at steps toward deception as we analyze this a little bit and start looking a little deeper into it, how he deceives people. All right, first point I want to make, Satan approached the woman when she was alone. Look at the verse 1 again. Uh, he was crafting all. He said to the woman, now he's just talking to the woman. Now Adam's nowhere around. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? Now, now we all pick on the woman because she was gullible and she fell for this and convinced her husband and, and all this. But uh, that's not really the case. One man put it this way. The problem is the woman listens to the serpent. The man listens to the woman and nobody's listening to God. Uh, she got in trouble. One girl got in trouble for disobeying her mother. And her mother sat her down and tried to explain to her, listen to me, honey, uh, Satan comes and he's going to try to talk to you. Don't listen to him. Listen to God. She said, but God doesn't talk as loud as Satan talks. And that's the way it is a lot of times. One, one preacher came to a church and, and he he's, uh, told them, he said, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you this. The Bible I don't believe the Bible's the Word of God. I, I, I don't believe there's really a place called heaven. I think it's just something in our mind. I think there's, there's not a place called hell. There's really nothing called sin and things like that. He just went on and on, the new pastor of the church. And one old fellow raised his hand and said, if there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no devil, there's no sin, there's no, what in the world we need you for? And that's the truth. Uh, I'm going to tell you, we're going to go back to the Word of God and see clearly exactly what was taking place the satan came to the woman when adam her head was not there to offer her and this is the first question of the bible if you want to have a little trivia question what's the first question in the bible he said has god really said you can't eat of any tree in the garden she needed adam's leadership there he's undermining god's authority right off the bat when you're alone do you know you're more subject to temptation when you're alone you're more vulnerable. I remember here, this has been about three or four years ago, I think. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll fuss a little bit and say, why don't we have anything sweet to eat in this house? Can you get us some cookies or something? I, I've got to have something sweet. That's why I'm so sweet. I like sweet. Anyway, uh, and so once in a while, my wife will get, get a wild idea. We're going to eat healthy. And we do that for about two weeks, and then we quit. But we're going to eat healthy, and we'll go to Trader, uh, Trader Joe's. I'm going to say Trader Tom. I think that's a strip club. We don't go there anymore. Uh, anyway, uh, Trader Joe's, and, uh, and that's health food. <laughs> I've seen some of y'all walking in that place. Now. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> anyway. I lost my train of thought. But anyway, we was going. I told her, I said, let's get something. 
and she said, well, let's start eating healthy. I said, well, that's okay, and we'll go to Trader Joe's sometimes. And I don't recognize none of the name brands. Uh, it ain't Kellogg's or General Mills or something like that. It's Nabisco. It ain't Nabisco. I don't know what it is, but it's healthier, healthy anyway. And I was fussing one day. I said, we don't have anything healthy in the house. And the next day I come in for lunch, and on the counter is a bag of cookies. And I didn't recognize them. Because I said, well, she's getting us healthy. I'd rather have something healthy than nothing. So anyway, I started eating the cookies, and they were terrible. I don't know why healthy stuff is so bad. Uh, and I ate them and was griping and grumbling to myself. And when she come home, I said, I appreciate you getting us some cookies, but those are terrible. We don't need healthy stuff if it's going to taste that bad. She laughed. She said, that ain't cookies. That's dog biscuits. <laughs> and I'd eat half the box. And I did growl and bark at that. I probably, I, I'm, I'm not joking. But when I was alone, not aware of what's going on, uh, I got myself into trouble. Now, uh, this, go back to the Garden of Eden. Satan came to Eve when she was alone. Adam, her head, was not there. And he tempted her, asked her this question, made her doubt what God had just told her. What he you, he, did he really say that? Once again, this is what gaslighting is. It's making you doubt or question what you know to be true. What you saw, what you've heard, what, what you've experienced. Am I losing my mind or whatever? Uh, and she's isolated. You've got to be careful. When, you know, when we come through the COVID thing, one of the things we had to do, keep a distance, so many feet, or isolate. They told us, stay away from church, stay away from uh, games, stay away from big crowds, stay away from this. Man's not made to be isolated. We need each other. We need the fellowship. We need the comfort. We need the strength. We're more prone to temptation when we're by ourselves. Don't ever forget that. There's many reasons to go to church, to worship the Lord, to pray, to praise God, to listen to the preaching, the teaching, to give, and all these other things. But one of the main reasons... It's found in Hebrews, and it says this, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but we're supposed to exhort one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Anybody see the day approaching? <laughs> Something's happening. We're moving quickly in the wrong direction. So we need strength from each other. We don't need to be alone. So he came to her when she was alone. He's going to come with the first temptation, and he's going to do what he always does. He does the same thing to us today. All right, let's look at the lies of the enemy. All right, let's go to verses 1 through 3. He makes us doubt the authority of God's Word. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Question that. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the trees in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Okay, there's the first question in the Bible. Has God really said that to you? He's already twisting around and making her doubt what God said. He will always make you doubt the authority of God's Word. Never forget that. We're not to add to God's Word. We're not to take away from God's Word. We're, we're not to just be a hearer of God's Word. We're supposed to be a doer of God's Word. We're supposed to live our lives based on God's Word. We're supposed to trust God's Word because God cannot lie. 
We're supposed to hide God's Word in our hearts so we may not sin against it. We're supposed to meditate on God's Word so He can reprogram and re- recharge our minds and transform it. Eugene Peterson, a preacher, he's a, a, a writer. He's had his problems in the past, but he, he's a pretty good writer. And he, uh, he said this, When I was 35 years old, I decided I was going to take up running. And I bought high-priced running shoes. I I subscribed to three different running magazines. It was my life. And I ran every day. And about once or twice a month, I would run in some race that was somewhere close by. It might be a 5K or 10K. And he said I even ran in some marathons. Running was everything. I had, like I said, three subscriptions to magazines just talking about running. He said, but something happened. I hurt my knee, and I was going to be out of commission for three or four months. And listen, he said, I noticed when I was out of commission, I wasn't running. I didn't read the magazines. When I'm not actively doing something, what I was reading didn't mean a whole lot to me. If you're not doing or submitting to the authority of God's Word. This is how I live my life. God's Word won't mean a whole lot to you. And you'll begin to question and doubt its authority and everything. Do you know what the biggest enemy of God's Word is? Well, some people say, well, I think science, education, atheists. None of these people believe in the validity of God's Word. You know, all this and that. Well, all those are true. But the biggest enemy of the authority of God's word is religion. Religion is like oil and water. Religion does not join together, does not unite with the word of God. Jesus was the incarnate word of God and he spoke the written word of God. Who rejected Jesus? The religious, the Pharisees, the conservatives, the Sadducees, the liberals. All of them. They rejected it. They didn't like what he stood for and didn't like what he was saying or how he was saying it. They rejected his word. Religion replaces the word with tradition. Religion reinterprets the word. Religion manipulates the word. Religion bends the word to fit its own desires. Religion strains at a gnat and swallows a camel. Religion majors on minors. Religion's more focused on social change than spiritual change. Religion focuses on the outside of the cup instead of the crud on the inside. Religion focuses more on methods than our motives. Religion focuses on how you talk more than how you walk. Duct tape, I've used this illustration before. Duct tape is one of the great inventions. Whoever come up with that, you can use duct tape for a lot of things. It can cover up a rip in a bicycle seat or it can patch a radiator hose that's leaking or whatever. It, it, it's a good thing. But the University of uh, the Scientists at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory found this one thing that duct tape's not good for. Duck work. <laughs> Which is what it was invented for. They said duct tape they did studies on it and said it fails allowing 30% more hot or cool air to be lost in the attic. It's good for everything than what it was designed for. Let me tell you something. If you get away from God's Word and the authority of God's Word, if He can gaslight you into thinking this stuff don't really apply today, 
He's got you. But he, he won't stop there. He doesn't just make us doubt the authority of God's word. He makes us doubt God's goodness. Let's look at verses 3 and 5. I, did, I don't think I put that on your screen, so let me just read it to you. Uh, and this is in the King James. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And then she said, and then, for God doth know, this is what the serpent said back to uh, Eve, God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened and you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. What he's saying is, God's not wanting you to eat that because he's holding out on you. He's not as good as you thought he was. When we grew up, we learned one prayer to pray at, at the meal. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By our, by our hands, we are fed. Thank you, Lord, for daily bread. Uh, we, were, we, we, we didn't know what we were saying half the time, but we were say, making a profession, God is not only great, God is good. Now, here's what he's, he's questioning. This is where he'll get you. All these things that we are tempted in and deceived in, you either, you either doubt the authority of God's word or you're going to doubt the goodness of God. He's not as good as we thought he was. Psalm 107.1 says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he's good. His mercy endures forever. Psalm 33.5, He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of of the Lord. Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Peter preached to Cornelius in his household and he described Jesus to him. He said in Acts 10, 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good to them that love him. Uh, goodness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's part of the nature of God. He's good. But the enemy's trying to say, God's not good. He's not treating you right. He's not what you thought he was. Philip Yancey, I like him. I don't always agree with uh, his theology, but I do like his writings. He wrote a book called Reaching for the Invisible God. And he's got a list of people in there how we quickly blame God when things go bad. That's the way. People don't even think about God until something's bad. Yeah, well, that's, thanks, God. Here's what he, he was given. I'll just give you three different examples out of the book. Ray Mancini. I was watching this boxing match. This was probably 35, 40 years ago. He was boxing a Korean guy, and he knocked the guy out, and the guy never recovered. It killed him. And here's what he said in the, uh, a press conference after that. He said, sometimes I wonder why God does the things he does. James Dobson, we all know James Dobson. Here was a letter written to him by a young woman in anguish, and she said this. Four years ago, I was dating a man and became pregnant. I was devastated. I asked God, why have you allowed this to happen to me? <laughs> Susan Smith, you remember Susan Smith, the girl from South Carolina? It's terrible put her little kids in their car seat, pushed the car into the lake, and then she told everybody she was carjacked and, and, and all this kind of mess. Well, she was eventually found out, and this was her confession or whatever. I dropped to the lowest point when I allowed my children to go down that ramp into the water without me. I took off running and screaming, Oh God, oh God, no. What have I done? Why did you let this happen? <laughs> 
people immediately challenge the goodness of God. You're not very good whenever things go wrong. I'm telling you, God is a good God. And don't let any devil, anybody ever tell you anything different. Here's a story. Peter Craig, he wrote a book on prayer. He lived in London, or in England. I don't know if it was in London, but he lived in England. And uh, he come to Chicago for a conference. And uh, after the conference, he was getting ready to get on a plane, wanting to go back to England. But it was a blizzard had come in, and they said that all the flights were canceled, and there would not be any flights going out for the next three days, the way the weather looked. And so it, it shut the whole airport down. So he thought, well, what am I going to do? I guess I can get a motel and just stay in a motel. He said, you know, I had a friend live around Chicago. I hadn't spoken to him in 10, 15 years. I'm going to give him a call, see if maybe I can go, go lay on his couch for two or three days. He said he called him up, hadn't heard his voice in 10 years or whatever. And he said, look, I'm here in Chicago. And this guy was ten, about two hours away. He said, I'm in Chicago. I can't get a flight out for three days. And I thought I hadn't seen you talk to you for so long. You mind if I come and crash on your couch for a couple of days? He broke down crying. His wife came on the phone. Said he had just received some very bad news. And what he just said to me a couple of hours ago, I wish Peter was here on my couch so that I could talk to him again because he's helped me through a lot of troubles in life. I'm telling you, God's a good God. God knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. But he'll gaslight you and make you doubt God's really that good. Here's the third thing he'll do. He'll gaslight you and make you doubt God's justice. Make you doubt God's justice. Look at verse 4. He just come out and lie now. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Now he's just going the absolute line because if you look at verse chapter 2, verse 17, this is God speaking to him. And he said, oh, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. All right, the next chapter over, the, the gaslighter comes along and says, you will not die. Makes you doubt God's justice. The wages of sin's always been death. Whenever sin came into the world, man fell. It brought physical death. It brought spiritual death or separation from God. Physical death, separation from this life. And it brought eternal death until you get reconciled to God. You're, you're facing eternal death, eternal separation from God. That's what sin brought in the world, death. Uh, many people have a lot of views of death, and I get a lot of questions on death. I've always said this to young people when they're starting to learn how to drive or maybe borrowing the parent's car or they got their own vehicle as a youngster. There's four words your parents were always going to say to you. These four words, where are you going? And then when you come, moment, it's going to be, where have you been? Those are, they, they, they're going to know. And that's really a question we all got to answer ourselves. Need to ask ourselves. Where are we going? I get a lot of questions as a pastor, and I'll give you just some about death that I've been 
given over the years. How come some people live so much longer than they did in Bible days? Uh, how come God told the Israelites to kill the men, women, children, animals, and the heathen area? Why did he kill everybody and all this? Why does God allow mass tragedies like 9-11, Christians as well as sinners, die in it? What happens when people take their own life, suicide? Where do they go? What happens to them? What about reincarnation? What about do you really believe people come back in a different form? What the Bible say about purgatory? Can't get into heaven till you go to purgatory and all this. What about soul sleep, spiritism, contacting the dead? I had one here last year, so I said, what about cremation? Do you believe that's wrong to be created, cremated versus being buried or when you die? And on and on. A lot of people have questions about death. Satan told Eve, you're not going to die. What you, what you thought, what God said, you're, you're not getting it right. You're, going, you're not thinking correctly. Now, I've never experienced death. Now, some have. I haven't. There's a lot of things I haven't experienced. Let me just tell you some things I haven't experienced. I've never been on a roller coaster. I've been on a Ferris wheel and on these things that twist around at the fairs and the carnival and stuff, but not a full-fledged roller coaster. And don't plan on going on one. Uh, that's not on my bucket list. I've never jumped out of an airplane. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I know you go that way. I want to go that way. Uh, I've never eaten chitlins. Now, I know the proper term is chitterlins. I've never eaten that. I've never eaten tripe. I've never eaten cow tongue. I've never eaten possum. A lot of things. I've never been that hungry yet, but I might. You know, I don't know. I've never had a broken bone. I'm thankful for that. I've never spent a night in the hospital. I'm very thankful for that. Every time I go in the hospital, I thank the Lord. Uh, I walk by those rooms and I think, God, thank you. I've never been arrested, never been tasered, never had handcuffs put on me, never spent a night in jail. Now, that might change in the future. <laughs> I'm not sure the way the world's going. And if I keep saying what I've been saying, I, who knows? There's a lot of things I've never experienced. I've never experienced death. But I'll tell you something, death runs in our family. And it runs in your family. It's appointed unto man once to die. After that, the judgment. Satan's trying to say, you will not surely die. There are no repercussions for sin. How many millions of people are deceived, gaslighted by all these things? There's no consequence for sin. There's no justice. And then I'll tell you the final thing he appeals to. It gaslights us. He appeals to our greatest weakness, which is our pride. Look at verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, if you'll eat what I'm telling you to eat from, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, God's been holding out on you. If you eat from this one, you'll be like God. Now, in the King James Version, it says gods. So he's lying even about God. He's got all kind of gods. He said you'll be as gods. Now, man's always wanted to be his own god. That's why man creates God in his own image sometimes. He wants to, be a, he wants to serve a god that he made up because ultimately he wants to be his own god. 
That's just the way it is. You say, I don't know if I believe that. Well, let me tell you why. Let me show you why I believe man still wants to be God. He wants to be in control. He doesn't want to answer to anything else. Number one, there are many men that have longed to have the authority of God. They love to rule and control and dominate other people. From Pharaoh to Hitler to Herod to anybody... There's people that love power and authority that only God has, and they love to be able to control man. That's part of wanting to be God in your own eyes. There's some people that love to be worshipped like God. They love the spotlight. Hollywood, they want their name on that star, on the Hall of Fame, or whatever it's called. They like the spotlight, but they reject the light of the world. But people want the applause of man, the attention, like God deserves is the only one that deserves worship people like to be in control of the fate of of others we've got people in political positions or big billionaires that like to control everybody else's lives everything applies to you and not them we've got people today that want to be god even tell people the way you're born is not what you really are you can be something different they're playing god or you can kill that or what? It, it doesn't matter. They're God in their eyes. They're wanting to be the, the lie that the first gaslighter told. You can be as gods, and that's what man wants to do. Here's what they lost in the fall. They saw themselves differently. They went from walking in pure, unadulterated fellowship with God to hiding from God. Number two, they saw death enter the world. Now, I know Adam lived to be 900-something years old, but at the end of it, he died. Death came on the scene. They saw their nakedness and tried to cover it up. Man's been trying to cover up his sin throughout eternity. And that's what false religions are based on, man's attempt to cover his sin in a different way other than God's way. They saw a curse placed. They saw a curse put on that serpent. They saw a curse put on the earth. They saw a curse put on man. And they saw a curse put on woman. All because of their pride. And that's the thing that Satan said, you can be as God. Man's always wanted to be as God. Let me wind this up. I'm going to say this. I, don't, I went to see The Sound of Freedom here, me and my wife, about two weeks ago. Very disturbing. That's what's going on in this world. I'd ready to come out here and start shooting. But anyway, uh, it's very disturbing talking about trafficking of children. I don't go to movies. Uh, I do watch some if they come on TV if they're decent. One of my movies that I liked was called Apollo 13. And it's about Apollo 13 was supposed to go to the moon. They were going to go on the moon, get some moon rocks and different things, had some things they planned. But they had an explosion on the capsule as they were going that way. And they didn't know what the damage was. They didn't know, but NASA said, we're going to try to get you home. And the whole movie is about trying to get these guys home. And they just circled the moon and came back on the other side and was trying to make it home. And all through the movie, they're trying to see, what are we going to do to get these guys back safely? And the bottom line is it comes to the crescendo of the movie, the last 15 minutes or so, they've done everything they knew to do. And now... The big question is, what if when it exploded, the heat shield cracked, then they'll burn up as they come through the atmosphere? 
And somebody asked one of NASA's people and said, what about the heat shield? He said, we don't know. He said, I'll tell you this. When they enter to the atmosphere, we're going to go three minutes roughly, and we won't hear from them. And after three minutes, if we don't hear from them, we'll know. They didn't make it. And so they're coming through the atmosphere. It's building up, and they keep saying, can you hear me? Can you read me? They're trying to make contact with them. They don't hear them. Three minutes go by, three and a half minutes, about four minutes go by. And finally, somebody, said, somebody speaks out, and they make contact with them, and they land, and they made it back safely. Here's what I'm telling you. The gas lighter is deceiving this world. If you are deceived, you won't have to wait three minutes after you die to find out. You'll know it in just a few seconds. You'll know it if you're going to see your Savior or you're going to be eternally damned. You will know it if you played the fool or you got off with a horrible joke, and it's probably going to be on you. You're going to know if you gambled with your life and won or gambled with your life and lost. You're going to know if the great deceiver, the gaslighter, suckered you. And if he did, you'll know it within seconds. All eternity is gone for you. It's gone. Forever. Not for a year or two. Forever. Gaslighting. We see it every day in our world. We see it around us from the enemy of our soul. Would you stand with me? He makes us doubt the things that we should know. And if he can convince us long enough, it's over. So I appeal to you today, before we leave here today, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you can, lo you can leave this place as a child of God. If you leave here in the same condition, if you're lost, you're gambling with your eternal soul. Gambling with your soul. Would you pray with me? If you need prayer, if you're not sure where you stand with God, if you're not, don't know if you're ready. Maybe you're religious. Maybe you're a good person. Maybe you've got a lot of things going for you. It won't get you to heaven, though. It will not deal with this problem called sin. Only the blood of Jesus. So if, if you're in that situation today, we'll close out today and appeal to you one more time. Come to Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you touch every heart and life here today. This is a day that we have. All you can do is knock on the door of our heart and draw us, and we can resist Lord, I pray if there's any today that hears your voice, this could be their day. Lord, if they're gambling for more time, gambling for another day, the deceiver of all deceivers is very joyful about that. I ask you today, Lord, you know every heart and life. We're the people of God, and most people here love Jesus. 
But there's some people here that don't know Jesus. They've never been born again. They've never had their heart transformed. And I pray if there's any here today, Lord, bring them to a place of repentance. Bring them to a place where eternal, loving God can wipe away their sins and bring them into your family. We love you today, Lord. Thank you for loving us. We've come to worship you. We'll leave here to serve you. But before we leave, God, we appeal to anybody here. Do you know him? Do you know that you know him? Don't be gaslighted. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay.